Open your Bible with me to Luke chapter 16. As we think about heaven, we, we need to know that there are eternal consequences to how we live our lives today. All right. Now, Luke chapter 16 is one of these amazing passages. Jesus is teaching us in Luke chapter 16 the proper attitude that we should have towards money. Now, I lost half of you right then when I said the word money. You cringed up. Oh, no. That's what he's going to talk about today. No, I'm talking about heaven. All right. Uh, and, and you're wondering, how in the world can you get heaven out of money? Well, we're, we're, we're going to find out because that's exactly what Jesus is teaching on. He's teaching about the proper attitude that we have about money. And he ends his lesson with a story about two guys and eternity. In Luke chapter 16, verse 13, Jesus said, You can't serve both God and money. He says it is absolutely impossible to love money and to love God at the same time. It just can't be done. Now Jesus specifically has in mind the Pharisees when he says that. According to verse number 15, they loved money and they rejected the teachings of Jesus. You see church, how we use our money in this life is just one indication of whether or not we truly are worshiping and serving the Lord Jesus, or if we are just in it purely for ourselves. So when Jesus begins to tell this story in verse 19, He is actually teaching that there are eternal consequences for the way we live our lives. And we will experience those consequences in one of two places. Heaven or hell, all right? Heaven or hell, the choice is yours. So let's read the story. Luke chapter 16, I'll begin reading in verse 19. Jesus said, There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen, and he lived in luxury every single day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores, and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In hell, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all of this, between us and you a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from where they are to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. 
Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said. But if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Wow, what an incredible story that Jesus told. Let me just say from the start that Jesus is not teaching that the rich man is in hell because he was rich. Nor is he teaching that Lazarus is in heaven because he is poor. Because nowhere does the Bible or Jesus teach that. In fact, we're introduced to Abraham in this story. Abraham is in heaven. Did you know that Abraham was one of the richest men in all of the Bible? So that can't be. Rather, what determines what we experience the moment we die is our response to God's revealed Word. In fact, that is exactly how this story ends. The rich man in the story wanted Abraham to send Lazarus back to his five brothers because they were headed down the same pathway he was. And he wanted his five brothers to be warned. But Abraham told the man, all they need to know about making sure they escape hell and gain heaven when they die is recorded in the Scriptures. It's all right there in the Bible. They need to repent and believe the truth that God has revealed. And church, nothing has changed in 2,000 years. That's the way it is, alright? We believe what the Word of God says about eternity and about the consequences of our life. Romans 10, 9 makes it clear that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. That's what it takes for you to get your name in the Lamb's book of life. That's what it takes for you to go to heaven and spend eternity there. You must believe in your heart and confess Jesus with your mouth. And from the moment that we do that, we have eternal life. And when we die, we can spend eternity with Jesus in heaven. So I want us to think together this morning on what happens when you die. And guess what? You're going to die. Every one of us in this room will expire at some time. We're going to die. But what's going to happen to you one second after you die? One second after you die, you will experience, number one, continuity. In other words, you don't lose your identity when you die. Who you are in the last second in this life is who you are the first second in the life to come. Death doesn't change that. The spirit that is you right now is what goes to heaven or hell. It's not like you can be one person in this life and someone totally different when you die. There may be some of you banking on that, but <laughs> that's just not the way it works, all right? In verse 19, we're introduced to this rich man. It says, there was a rich man who was dressed in purple. He was styling. I mean, I guess purple was the cool color back then. He was dressed in purple and fine linen, and he lived in luxury every single day. Well, on the surface, there seems to be absolutely nothing wrong with 
the way the rich man is living. We just read that verse and we say, okay, I mean, he, he's living the Jerusalem dream. <laughs> you know, he's living the life. Good for him. But when we dig a little deeper, we see that there really is something wrong with his life. Something terribly wrong with his life. The next verse says, At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs would come by and lick his sores. So this rich man lives in luxury. Not just once a week or one weekend a month. It's every day he's living in luxury. Meanwhile, sitting at the gate of this man's mansion is this beggar named Lazarus. He's probably crippled due to his sores because it says that he was laid there every day either by friends or family members. Lazarus was just longing to have some of the food that fell off of the rich man's table. To put it in a modern day analogy, I think he was just waiting to go through the garbage can when the servant brought it out and foot put it on the front porch. And he was in such bad shape, the Bible says that dogs, stray dogs, street dogs would come by and lick his sores as they walked by. Wow, this is a grotesque scene, is it not? But the crazy thing is, it's being played out right on the front porch of this rich man's house. And there's where the problem is. You want to know what his problem was? This man loved money more than he loved God. Okay, remember, let's go back to the beginning. Jesus is spending time in Luke chapter 16 teaching us about what? About money, okay? That's the point of this whole chapter. He's telling us about money. You can't love both God and money at the same time. He's already made that statement. And now he's telling us this story about a man who did the very thing. He was loving money and the things money brought him more than he loved God. And you may say, well, preacher, you're coming to that conclusion awful quickly, aren't you? Well, no, I'm not. Here's what I do know. If he loved God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength, he would be using the money that God blessed him with to take care of the beggar that was on his front porch. But he did. He loved money for himself. Well, the rich man dies and is buried, and the next thing we see of him is in verse 23. He's in hell, where he was in torment. And he looked up and he saw Abraham far away, and there's old Lazarus by his side. Now, the one thing that I want you to notice right here is the continuity to this story. One second after he died, the rich man experienced the consequences of the way he had lived life on this earth. This man was a selfish unrepentant individual and one second after he died he was immediately aware of the fact that he had messed up. You know, people talk about climbing the ladder of success. Wouldn't it be awful to climb the ladder of life and success only to find out your ladder is leaning up against the wrong building? And that's exactly the case of the rich man. He thought he had it, man. He was doing everything right 
according to the world's perspective. But one second after he died, he realized he had got it all wrong. There is a continuance here. On the other hand, there's the beggar Lazarus. Look at verse 22. The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. Poor as this man was, he believed. That's what made the difference. The difference is not the money, the house, not having money, not having... The difference is believing. Okay? That's what made the difference for Lazarus. He believed the truth revealed in Scripture. And because of that, he repented. And because he repented, he was brought to Abraham's side, which, of course, is the same as heaven. Now, every Sunday when I preach, I have, I have, you may not know this, but I have my whole sermon condensed down to one sentence, and I will say that sentence sometime during my message. Sometimes I tell you, I'll say, listen to this, this is important, or here's the thesis of my whole sermon right here. Other times I just do it and, and I hope you get it, right? Today I'm pointing it out, alright? This is my whole sermon in one sentence, and it's the most important sentence. You need to understand this completely today. You, my friend, choose your own destiny in this life. And the consequences of that choice continue on in eternity, either in hell or heaven. You choose. You're making the choice. And whatever you choose is going to continue. It's going to follow you wherever you go, heaven or hell. And the choice is yours. You might say, well, preacher, I've never made that choice. Well, if you tell me that, then you've already made the choice. Because you have to choose Jesus. Alright? There's even some indication here in Jesus' story that there is awareness of the life that we leave behind. At least for this man in hell... Because in verse 27, he answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. So this man is keenly aware that he's got family back on earth. They are headed down the same disastrous road as he was on when he died. He knows if they continue on that road, they are going to end up in the same place that he is in. So he begs Abraham to send Lazarus back from the dead to keep them from going down that path of destruction. I could go on and on and on about that, but here's, here's, what, here's what I want to say as a point of application. My friend, my dear Christian friend, the time to tell your friends and family members about Jesus is right now. Once you die and go to heaven and you experience all the incredible things that God has for you and you are in His presence, there's no way you can get word back down to them. And if by chance you die and go to hell one second after you die, there is no way you can warn anyone on earth about how horrible hell really is. The time to tell your friends about Jesus is now. Right now. The time to invite people to church so that they can hear the truth is now. This story teaches us something else about what happens and what we should expect one second after we die, and it's this. For some of us who go to heaven, 
we're going to have comfort. Great comfort. Verse 22, the time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. Verse 25 tells us that Abraham is there in heaven at Abraham's side and he is comforted there. Now, let me remind you what we're talking about here is, is what we call the present heaven. We're looking at heaven and hell as they are in this present age prior to Christ's second return when He comes back and establishes the new heavens and the new earth. It, it is unimaginable for us. We can't even begin to imagine what it's going to be like when God gives us that new glorified body, okay, and we get to spend eternity in heaven. But until then, when we die... When friends die, when family members die who are Christians, we still get the best part of heaven. And that is we are comforted in the presence of the Heavenly Father. It's not that way down here on earth. I understand that. Sometimes even as believers, hopelessness can set in. Can't it? And we think that all of our tomorrows are going to be just like today. And it was so bad today, I pray and ask, I tell God, God, it can't get any worse. And guess what? Tomorrow's worse. You know? Friend, let me tell you, our hope is in Christ. And that encourages us. Yes, we may suffer in this life, but one second after we die, all of that changes. And we are comforted in heaven. Wow. Romans chapter 8 verse 18 says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. So no matter what you're going through or how bad your life is right now, hang on! If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, it's going to get better. All right, There is going to be great comfort in heaven. You contrast that though with this unbelieving rich man. What does he experience one second after he dies? Agony. Torment. Or as the old country song on He Hall said, gloom, despair. Agony on me. Deep, dark depression. Excessive misery. It's amazing how I can remember that. If it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. Gloom, despair. I haven't seen that since 1974, but wow, I mean, just a rush from the past, all right? Luke chapter... My dad and mom watched that way too much. He honed. I, I think that was the problem. Mm. Look, at, look at Luke 16, verse 23. It says, In hell, where he was in torment, so he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. Now... You might think, well, Jesus is just telling a story. He, he's talking and in, in, in using analogy there. No, he's getting pretty real. Because the, the, the rest of the Bible tells us how horrible and terrible hell is. You can't even begin to imagine it. You know, I, I say all the time on this series of heaven, we can't even begin to imagine how great heaven is. Well, friend, on the flip side, you can't even begin to imagine how horrible hell is. Complete darkness. You're all alone in this fire that is burning constantly but does not consume you, even though you wished it would, it doesn't. This man was so hot and so thirsty, he said, Lord, just, just please 
let Lazarus come down here with just one drop of water. That's all I'm asking for. One little drop of water to ease the agony that I'm experiencing. Surveys reveal that most Americans believe in heaven. Well, why wouldn't they? Let's all go there, right? But those same surveys reveal that most people don't believe in hell. They don't want to believe in hell. Many people can't reconcile in their minds how a loving God would condemn some people to hell while He lets other people go to heaven. I mean, how could that be? Well, let me try to explain it like this. Our God is a holy and just God. Those are a couple of His characteristics, and because of that, He must punish sin. You could never call God good if He was holy and didn't punish sin. His goodness demands that He sets Himself against and apart all that is evil. That's why nothing, nothing that, that is imperfect will ever get into heaven. Heaven is a perfect place. Only perfect things are allowed in heaven. No evil, no sin is allowed there. But the Bible also tells us that God is not only just, and holy, He's also a loving God. He loves us. He made us. He loves us. He wants each one of us, every one of you, He wants you to spend eternity in heaven with Him. Now, the only way these two amazing qualities of God could be reconciled was that God sent His only begotten Son to the earth to die on a rugged cross carrying your sins taking your sins upon Himself. That way God's holiness and His love could be completely satisfied. The, the, the fact is that all of us deserve to be judged and sentenced to separation from God for eternity in hell. That's what we deserve. We deserve hell. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. One second after you die, now listen to this, one second after you die, if you're in hell, it's all on you, dude. It's all on you. You never put your trust in Christ and therefore your sins are on you. But one second after you die, if you're in heaven, it's all on Him. It's on Him. That is, your sins have been placed on Jesus Christ. He has died for you and He's paid it all for you. So, if you're a believer, one second after you die, you know this incredible comfort being in heaven. Something else that goes along with that is some pretty good company. Number three, one second after you die, you're going to experience some good company. Verse 22a, the time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. But for the rich man in hell where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. Now Abraham is right in the middle of this story. And Abraham represents all the people of faith. In fact, in the Bible, he was named the father of faith. He's in heaven. He's far away from that torment of hell. 
and with him are the saints of all the ages. I think it's pretty apparent that if we can recognize Abraham and know who Abraham is, then we will know our loved ones and our friends who are there. It's going to be a great reunion. Woo. I asked people in the first service, how many of you like family reunions? Just a couple of people raised their hand. How about you? Do you like going to family reunions? Aren't they great? Aren't family, you see those people you hadn't seen in years and you wonder who are they? There's uh, Dave's going to love this. We laugh first service. There's always that one that, oh man, you dread seeing them, you know? You're that one. Dave he knows because he's that one. And then in the first service I said, well, the good thing is in heaven that one's not going to be there. <laughs> David, Dave took that personally. What, 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 <laughs> what I meant by all of that is, you know what? It, in heaven it ain't going to matter because we're going to love everybody, you know? And if they're a believer and you're a believer, even if there was a little rift on earth, it's not going to be in heaven. Everything's going to be great in heaven. There's going to be a great reunion there. But you know what? On the other hand, the rich man appears to be all alone. It is, it is apparent that he's away from the presence of God. There's this big gulf between the two. In fact, it says that in verse 26. And besides all of this, between us and you, there's this great chasm that's been fixed. So that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. There's, a, there's separation there. There's aloneness there. I think the essence of heaven is the presence of God. That's the great thing about heaven. That's where God is. You're going to be with God. The essence of hell is that you're not going to be with God. There is eternal separation from God and also the company of the righteous. Now I hear people joking about hell all the time and, and, and I know people, I do know people who have said, well, me and my buddies, we're going to bust hell wide open. <laughs> we're going to party down there. Oh, you're not. And can I tell you something? Hell is no joking matter. All indications that we have from the Word of God, it is an alone place. You are alone in complete and total darkness. But not in heaven. In heaven, you're at a reunion in the company of the righteous. And then number four comes the commendation. Verse 24 so he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, and get this, is this what he said? Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. That's a big reversal, is it not? I mean, there was the rich man living the Jerusalem dream, had everything, and now he's spending eternity with nothing. On the other side, there was the beggar. Didn't have nothing. You English graduates, uh, English teachers love it when I say stuff like that. He didn't have nothing. Trying to drive the point home, he didn't have nothing. But now he has everything. What a reversal. 
So Lazarus is comforted as commendation for the way he lived life on earth. And the rich man is condemned because of the way he lived his life on earth. He loved more money more than he loved God. He never repented and turned to God. And so he does not get a con- commendation. He receives condemnation. Hebrews 9.27, just as man is destined to die once, after this he's going to face the judgment. We all will face the judgment. And when you stand before God, it's just you, man. Nobody, nobody's there with you. You're not going to be able to blame anybody. Well, you know, Lord, I would have gone to church, but all those hypocrites, hey, you can't do that. Well, my parents told no, you can't do that. It's on you, man. You stand before God. But thanks be to God, those who are believers, those who are Christians, will never have to fear this condemnation. I love Romans 8.1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We can't be condemned. And even though on the judgment day the devil may accuse us, His accusations will not stand. Because Jesus, our advocate, will stand in our place and say, Father, let that one in. His name is written in the Lamb's book of life. But listen to me. Hey, listen. That's the only way you're going to get to heaven. One second after you die, one second after your last breath, you're going to be either in hell or you're going to be in heaven. The choice is yours. The only way is Jesus. Uh, Callie, a couple of weeks ago, sent me a a text message, and she was laughing in the other room. She said, Dad, check your text message. I just sent you a funny story. And it was quite funny. Maybe you read this. I've, I've, uh, I've read all the accounts. They're all identical. I did read one this past week that said it was all a hoax. But that was just one account. I, I think it was true. It, it's about something that happened uh, first of the month in Jacksonville, Florida. A husband and wife, Tito and Amanda Watts. I don't think there are any relationship to you guys. <laughs> At least I hope not. T- Tito and Amanda Watts. Did you read that story? Anybody read this story? It's this incredible story. They they were selling golden tickets to heaven on the streets in Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, to admit one into heaven. The, the tickets were being sold, these golden tickets were being sold for $99.99. Yeah, they were. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Jason just let the air out of my bag right there. But yeah, they, that's a, they, they, they were. He, what Tito told the police is that uh, Jesus met him behind the KFC and gave him these golden tickets. And told him to sell them. The, the story is absolutely wild. But, but sure enough, they, they were selling these tickets and uh, they got arrested for it. Here's the interesting thing, though. The Jacksonville, Florida Police Department said they, they weren't being arrested for selling these bogus tickets to heaven. So I guess anybody could sell tickets to heaven. What they were being arrested for is the false representation of what they were selling. They were claiming that these things were pure gold and they weren't. They were pieces of two-by-four, painted gold, with a black marker written on the top, admit one. Here's what, here's what, listen, here's what Tito told somebody when they would buy a ticket. He said, 
You just give this ticket to the angel that's at the pearly gates and they'll let you in. <laughs> okay, here's the deal. When they were arrested, when they were arrested, they confiscated over $10,000. Now I'm just putting two and two together. That means that there were at least a hundred people who bought these bogus tickets. They also, hey, they also confiscated some, uh, some, uh, some pipes, some crack pipes, about four of them, I think. And a baby alligator. I'm thinking the baby alligator was in there with the 10,000 so nobody would steal it. I, I don't know. But isn't it inconceivable that somebody would stand on a street corner and sell golden tickets to heaven? Isn't that, does that blow your mind? What's even more inconceivable are the 100 people that bought them. Hey, but you know what? You know what that tells me? People are crazy. You know? What it tells me is there is, a, there is a longing in everybody's heart. You know, even, even if you say you don't believe in heaven or hell, you think about it. And I mean, let me, Wes, let me, if I could just spend $99.99 and get me a golden ticket to assure me that I get into heaven, boy, that's, that's some pretty safe insurance, don't you think? That's what people are thinking. But their thinking's wrong. The Bible makes this oh so clear. Listen, all of us are going to stand before God. All of us will spend eternity in either hell or heaven. And the only way you're going to make it to heaven is through Jesus Christ. You have to believe in your heart and confess Him with your mouth. And if you've never done that, you're headed the wrong way. One second after you die, don't be like this rich man. <laughs> I've messed up. It's way too late. Make that decision today. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would speak to hearts in this room as only you can. Lord, if there's someone here that's not ready to meet you when they die,